tricked also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, they were crucified him, where they were crucified him. And the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking on. But even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he's the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription was also written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who was hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation, aren't you? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. So when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God, saying, Surely this man was the Son of God. And the whole crowd who came together to that site, seeing what had been done, beat their breasts and returned. But all his acquaintances and the women who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. John tells us that early on in Jesus' public ministry, he went to a wedding, a feast, Cana in Galilee. I don't know if the caterers had underplanned or if the guests had overpartied, but in a horror story in a culture that is so known for hospitality, they ran out of wine. And Mary, Jesus' mother, turns to Jesus and says, They've run out of wine. And Jesus says what I think a lot of us would say. What's that got to do with me? But she knew, see, that he'd care. She knew that he could do something. What had she seen in Jesus growing up to convince her that in this moment that Jesus would have the answer? And he says to her, it's nothing to do with me. My time has not yet come. It was the first public uh, miracle of Jesus's. It's some of the first public words that are recorded of Jesus. My time in the Greek literally hour, my hour has not yet come. 
Jesus was somebody possessed with a divine purpose. I'm here for a reason, and all throughout John's gospel, this, this seems to repeat like a, a clicking countdown, like a, a, a clock. My hour has not yet come. It's not time yet. And then there are those moments when the temptation to avoid the cross come crushing on Jesus from without and from within. And he prays, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, for this very reason. I came into the world. In the Garden of Gethsemane, suddenly he is surrounded by a garrison of soldiers. They knew how dangerous he was. And he looks at them and says, every day I taught in the temple courts. Why have you come to me now? Am I leading a rebellion? And he says, but this is your time. This is your hour. And no sooner have those words been uttered than all hell breaks loose. And Jesus is led away like a lamb to be slaughtered. My hour has not yet come. Father, the time has come. Glorify your name. Jesus knew that this would be his destiny. That this would be his death. He spoke of it many, many times. And in the passage that we just read, I, I don't know if you caught it as it was being read, but there's a sense in which Jesus remains in control of all that's happening. He's taken to Pilate on trial, and when it came to criminals, Rome had two options. You could be flogged to death, or if it was a really public case, and they really wanted to make an example of you, you could be crucified. And it's clear to me that as Jesus and Pilate are talking, there's a, a fascinating exchange. Pilate is sort of intrigued and impressed by Jesus. He says to him, are you the king of the Jews? When there's no earthly reason to think that he would be. Jesus leaves it for Pilate to decide. And so Pilate comes back out to the crowds, not wanting to crucify Jesus, and so wanting to appease the bloodlust of this angry mob that are demanding that Jesus be crucified. Jesus is taken away and flogged. Now we read those words, taken away and flogged, but they don't begin to capture the horror of that torture. The Romans were experts when it came to execution and to death. They could kill a man with 40 lashes of a whip. It was a leather strap in which was embedded bone and glass and stones. And the victim was tied up to a stone pillar and beaten with this thing. And within 40 lashes, the victim was dead. The word that is used in the Greek when Pilate calls for Jesus to be flogged is a technical definition. It was known as 40 minus 1. He would be beaten to within an inch of his life. And usually, under the Roman judicial system, that would be the end of the matter. And this has already happened to Jesus. After a night of no sleep, a night of, of trial after trial, a night of, of no food, Jesus is already physically, utterly exhausted. And it does not appease the crowd. And so Pilate eventually, weakly consents to their shouts and orders that he be crucified. So then Jesus carries the cross beam that he will be crucified on through the streets of the city. 
Under the weight of it, he, he collapses. It, it's too much. And a man called Simon from Cyrene, he carries it up uh, Golgotha's hill. And there, after being tortured to within an inch of his life already, Jesus is, is then crucified, nailed to the cross. His arms stretched out in, in opposite directions, putting huge pressure on the rib cage, pressing down on, on the lungs, very difficult to breathe. And so instinctively you want to push up to try and get more air into your lungs. But when you do that, there is a nail that has been hammered through both of your ankles at the same time. So there is soaring pain throughout all of your body, all of your system, and you are left there to die. Joseph, uh, Josephus, the uh, historian, has recorded that in some cases it could take up, a, up to a week for the victim to, uh, to die on the cross from a whole manner of, of, uh, of things. And then on Jesus' cross, there's something else that happens. The sky goes dark. There's this eclipse. And the ancient world were, were good at predicting when this was going to happen. You know, the Magi that we read about at Christmas, they were experts in, in the sky, ex experts in the stars, and they could predict when this was going to happen. But Luke records it because it was unexpected. It was not predicted. It was unnatural. It was a supernatural moment. Darkness descends. This, this shadow, this shroud this cloud on an already pitch black moment darkness covers there are four eclipses mentioned in the old testament and they all appear in the prophets uh, isaiah ezekiel joel and amos all prophesy uh, an eclipse and every single time the context is that of judgment that God would cover the, his creation in darkness. We were thinking yesterday, weren't we, about this theme of, of light and dark. And the first thing God gives to humanity, to the world, is light. And this judgment, an eclipse, a covering uh, of light, is, is, is like a, a removal of the first gift. It's a removal of the first blessing. It, it was a symbol of, of, of the curse, of judgment falling. And Jesus dies under that judgment, under that darkness, under that curse, blessing removed and judgment pronounced. I remember uh, when I was a kid, um, a bunch of us from church had a, a day out and we went caving. Uh, and uh, just before we went into this part of the cave, we all had these uh, helmets on with a head torch at the front. Uh, and uh, the guide was trying to convince us teenage boys that this was more dangerous than we wanted to think it was and to take it more seriously than we wanted to take it. And so he said, right, hold out your hand in front of your face. And so we did that. He said, now turn your torch off. And we did that. He said, can anyone see your hand in front of your face? And we couldn't. It was pitch black, absolutely, completely dark. I've never been anywhere like it. And he said, when we're walking through these caves, keep your torches on and stay close to me. Because a number of years ago, a friend of mine went diving in one of these pools and never came back. And suddenly this different atmosphere descends on this group of teenage boys and we take it much more, more seriously. But see, if we're going to journey through times of darkness, we need a guide. We need someone who has gone further and deeper than we ever have to. 
And there in the darkness and the judgment of this moment, Jesus cries out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As far as I can see, it's the only time in the whole of the New Testament that Jesus ever refers to his Father as God. It's usually that intimate name, Abba. The first things a, a child could say, just two sounds, Abba. But there on the cross, my God, my God. Jesus goes further than we have to. He was forsaken so that we don't have to be. The judgment that, that fell on him was not for any wrong that he had done. It was clear from his trials. They threw so much of him, but nothing would stick. And he was rejected so that we could be accepted. He was punished so that we could be set free. He, he pays our fine. He pays our debt. He releases us. And he did that for you, for me and for you. And then just when he is ready, he says, Father, that word again, Abba, into your hands I commit my spirit. He, he knew that it was finished. And at that moment, he breathed his last. Jesus is in complete control. He chooses the moment, my hour, my time. And it was that moment when, uh, away from this dark hill back in the city, back in the temple, it was at that exact time that the Passover lambs were being sacrificed. And Jesus chooses that moment to commit his life into his Father's hands. And he breathes his last. I don't know if you've lived with a sense of judgment, but it kind of feels like a black cloud, doesn't it? When there's something that you know is wrong, there's a heaviness, there's a, there's a shame, there's a guilt. We don't, we don't have to think about it. We'd, we'd rather go running, we'd rather drink, we'd rather distract ourselves, but think about that thing that we know is wrong. And for each and every one of us tonight, for all of those moments of sin and shame, Jesus stretches out his arms on the cross and says, let me take it. Sometimes it's not just a moment, is it? It's not just a, a deed. It starts that way. But these things feel like they stick to us, don't they? They become how we think about ourselves. They become how we talk about ourselves. They become labels that we use in our thinking and sometimes even labels that others use about us. I want to invite you tonight to come to the cross. We deliberately built a, a white cross, Josh and I, a bright white cross. And I want to invite you tonight to Stick a black piece of paper on that cross. He who knew no sin became sin for us. There are some pens uh, on the table. I want to invite you to, to write something, just to personalize this. 
It might be a confession. It might be a prayer. It might be something, a label that, that you have lived with and has stuck to you for a long time that you want to stick to Jesus as he invites us to tonight. And then as you do, then get some glue and stick it all over the words that you've written and place it face down on the cross. This is between you and Jesus. There are times when it's right to confess to others, but this is between you and, and the Lord tonight. And as you do that, remember that this stays there. You know, I've often thought, as I've looked back on my Christian life, we're, we're really good at asking Jesus to forgive us and believing that we're forgiven and then still carrying that little bit of shame, that little darkness still, still hovers. I want to invite you to, to stick it tonight, to leave it to the cross. I'm aware that these, these lights are quite warm, and so if the glue does start to dry up, uh, there, there is some more, somebody can keep an eye out on that. But just come when you're ready. If you want to sit, there are chairs. and Write what you know you need to write, and stick it face down to the cross and, and leave it with Jesus. Let me pray, and then in a moment, we'll sing together. And as we're singing, whenever you're ready, come to the cross. Some of you will know already what it is you want to write. For some of us, it'll be an old thing. Been with us a long time. For others of us, it might be a relatively new thing. Come to the cross. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for all that you've done for us. We thank you that freedom and forgiveness and healing and hope are possible because of you. Because you broke into the cycle. And you stand here tonight to meet us at your cross with grace sufficient with mercy for our places of need, with love for who we are. So, Lord Jesus, might we meet you here at the cross and taste afresh of your forgiveness and mercy and love. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> Jesus, wow. I thank you, Lord, that uh, it's not about pieces of paper stuck to a, a wooden cross. It's, it's about the Son of God slain for us. It's about the Savior who loved us enough. Wow. And so we thank you again and again and again that we get to sing Salvation Song, that we have a hope in the darkness, that we have a light that shines, that the darkness cannot extinguish. Thank you, Jesus. I want to close with the words of the blessing. The, um, there on the cross, as 
the darkness covered the earth. The holy God who cannot look upon sin turns his face away from Jesus. And see, that's the judgment, is separation from God. And Jesus, who's only ever experienced unique union, intimacy with the Father, knows the pain of a face turned away. Maybe you've known the pain of somebody who cannot look at you. Anything more painful than that? Can't even let my eyes land on you. But because Jesus went to that place, these words are for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. Be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his smile upon you and give you peace. Can I ask you to do one more thing before we leave? Can I ask you to leave it here? To leave it here. Lord, would you send us tonight in your blessing, knowing that your face shines upon us, that your blessing rests upon us, all the blessings that you deserve poured on our unworthy soul. Jesus, wow. Thank you, Lord. Amen.